Good morning, everyone. I pray that everyone had a wonderful Christmas and that the joy of the season was not lost, but was actually experienced with delight and a lot of praising God. And of course, as always during this holiday season, it always comes with food. And so we pray that you didn't eat too much, but that you filled your souls. Um, Today, I'd like us, if you have a Bible with you, we are going to be coming out of Psalm 102. That's Psalm 102, and if you have the pew Bibles in front of you, that would be on page 501. As we always indicate, if you're a visitor here and you do not have a Bible, that is our gift to you today. And so we ask that you take it, you read it. If you don't understand it, you ask anyone here that would be in a delighted uh, position to help you go through that, for you shouldn't wrestle with God's word alone. We're here to help you. So please, that's our gift for you today. But keep your place there um, in Psalm 102. As I think about um, this time, I'm re- I remember 2012. 2012 rings in my mind because there was a special season. It was the summer of 2012. And like as the summers end and we get ready for fall, it's getting around October. And I remember it being one of those kind of pleasant summers. Didn't have a lot of rain, a little rain, a few storms. But I figured by October, storms have passed. We're pretty much out of hurricane season. And so we can get ready for the winter. But I think the reason why I remember that is because near the end of October, that was not the case. Hurricane Sandy was making her way through the East Coast and did terrible damage through the East Coast. I learned at that time, hurricane season doesn't end in October, that it's actually November. So we experienced that. And I don't know if you've ever been in a hurricane. Now, keep in mind, for those who live here and were there during the 2012, we didn't get hit with the hurricane. We got hit with tropical storms, winds, rains, all of that. New York, New Jersey got hit with the brunt of that. And so even that, one of the things I remember is that going through that storm was unlike anything I had ever gone through. We were in our home, and even for it not to be a hurricane, the house was shaking. I thought windows would shake. I never heard anything where walls are shaking. Walls were shaking. The roof was just, it was like, it was a hurricane, but it wasn't. And yet that little storm, in comparison to the hurricane, had grown men trembling on their knees. And all I could think about is, Lord, please protect us. Please allow this home to withstand the forces. Please allow my children and my wife to be at peace and calm. And apparently I was the only one panicking because they were sound asleep. They were resting. They were like, oh, this is just another day. Sharon might have been up a little bit. But the boys were laid out. And so they were at peace because 
they were protected. And it helped me understand that in a structure that's solid, there is security. And something that we know and we can look at and we can say that it provides the security and the permanence that will withstand a storm, then it helps balance the tension that I know there's a raging storm going on and I'm a bit uneasy, but at the same time, there's a peace to know that I'm not in harm's way. Some of us are going through a storm in life right now. It may not be the weather storm that's kicking up and wrestling around, but it's a violent and terrifying storm. Some of us are just coming out of a storm, and we've been through the the wrenches and the trials and just heart-wrenching areas that just tear us apart. And our storms and our trials are meant to break us. They're not meant to break us. They're meant to build us. They're meant to bring us about and strengthen us and strengthen our faith to deepen our trust with God, to draw closer to him. James says it in in chapter 1. He says, Then consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And he summarizes it, or I summarize it to say, because through that, the strengthening of your faith is accomplished. And through that, we become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this is very true. But being human, we don't like the suffering part. We don't like the trial part. We would prefer skip the trials and jump straight to the mature, complete, lacking nothing. Because suffering hurts. Trials wrench us. And none of us are exempt. The curse of sin is suffering and pain. And in that, we sometimes feel Like we would just rather give up because it's just too painful to have to go through. One of the great gifts that God gives his people is the scriptures that don't ignore the reality of suffering. In fact, the pain and difficulties of life, it's a central theme theme throughout the Bible. And we're thankful that the Bible doesn't only acknowledge the presence of suffering but it provides hope for those who suffer. And today we want to look at that and see what is it that we can learn from the psalmist. And today, even going into the new year, we don't know what's coming next year, but we pray God bring us through it. God, keep us, protect us. And so the psalmist today shows us in our deepest pain and anguish, God's greatest desire His greatest desire is that we call on him. In the depths of our anguish and in our pain, God desires that we call on him. And we don't just call on God in any way. The psalmist gives us three ways that we can call on God when we're going through. And if you're taking notes then, the first way that he gives us to call out 
to him is to cry out to the Lord for help in detail. God is not troubled by the information we provide. As we know, he already knows. We cry out to the Lord for help in detail. If you turn to verse 1, and it reads, starting from the subscription, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the days when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingles my, and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Let's pause there. When we cry out to the Lord, we let God know that we are going through something. This is a prayer of affliction, as the subscription says. One afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaints. He pours out a complaint to God, and he keeps us reminded that we can cry out. We can let God know when we're going through Areas of life that are difficult. This is what's called a lament. It's a psalm that helps us to express ourselves to the Lord in a particular way. What is a lament? Oh, well, we can contrast Israel and get from Scripture two ways that our lament is not a complaint because sometimes that gets mixed up. We complain. We figure, oh, we can complain to the Lord. It says he's complaining to the Lord. But there's a complaint that is not acceptable to God. But a lament is different. In the wilderness, Israel complained to God. And we could say that a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character. See, Israel in the desert, they assumed evil of God. They thought God was there to kill them. Every way that they went, they, they voiced out to God that, why did you bring us out here to die? As if God was on trial and being tested. That's a complaint. But a lament is when I take the same agony and I appeal expressing deep regret, grief, or sorrow to God based on the confidence of his character. And the Psalms are filled with laments. I express based off of God's character and my confidence in that. His unfailing love, 
I cry out to. His justice, I cry for. His righteousness and faithfulness, his power, his omnipresence, those things in the midst of my trials, my deep regret and grief and sorrow, I cry to one whom I know his character and I call out to that. That's the difference between complaining to God and lamenting to God. And the psalmist is lamenting. He's crying out. We hear the pain that he is expressing in detail. He's feeling that God was oblivious to his suffering. He's saying, God, hear my prayer. Let me cry, come to you. Let my cries come to you. Don't hide your face. Now, one thing we have to remember, by him giving these statements, he's not talking to the air. Laments have the very essence of knowing God exists. And he is one whom I can call out to. It isn't that God's not there. He's obviously there because he's calling out to him. But he wants to give expression to the urgency. It's as if he's saying, God, do you know what's going on? Do you finally get what's going on? And God is saying, oh, I've been here. But now do you know what I wanted you? And now I have your attention. It's not God who has to be reminded to get attention, but sometimes the anguish and agony gains our attention of him. He's always been there. So we cry out to God. We let him know that we are in this painful situation. And then he rolls right into identifying the nature of his suffering. He calls out to God in vivid language to describe his weakness in his desperate situations. He says, for my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. He's giving the details of anguish like he's drifting away slowly. Like life is just ebbing right out of him. The unbearable suffering has affected him in ways we can't even imagine. But some of us can because we've been there. We felt like everything was gone, like we've had nothing more. We don't even have an appetite for life, let alone food. But here he says, I, I forgot to eat. That's some severe pain. That's some stuff. Not that I didn't eat, I forgot to eat. Something was going on so much that I didn't even think about eating. And the effects of that he lets you know. Because I'm mere skin and bones. I've wasted away. His suffering and pain wasn't just simply that the pain was on him. He gives this comparison to birds. He says, like a desert owl or a lonely sparrow, I'm all alone in a desert. It's the idea that not only am I in pain, but sometimes the pain is the loneliness. I have no one around. There's none who can comfort me. I'm all alone. COVID was a perfect example of this kind of pain. It was noted and news kept bringing out. It was one of the saddest times because people suffered all alone. Family members couldn't go to them, couldn't be there because of the restrictions. The medical staff was reduced. And so one of the things that they 
comment on was one of the more terrifying, one of the most uh, difficult parts of that was the fact that you were suffering and had no one to be with during that time. So we get, as he's helping us understand, that hurts. That is a pain that we can cry out to the Lord with. He was rejected by people, and then he felt rejected by God. His grief was such that there were those who were mocking and taunting and cursing him. And if that wasn't enough, with all that weight, he then says that even he felt alienated and cast aside by God. Now, this is considered also a penitent um, psalm, penitential psalm, in that it's one that confesses sin. It seeks God's answer. It repents. It praises God for his work. Here, he doesn't say what the sin is. He just simply owns that this is something I've done. And we see Job and others in the same. When we're in pain, we just assume we've done something. And so we look at God as if he's the one causing this. And then finally, he comes to where he started. And he lets him know that this is just too painful. I'm withering away like grass. My days are like an evening shadow. He's just resolved to kind of pass away. His life is such that it's, it's just passing away. And I think what this gives us is a great example of one who has learned and shown us how to cry out to God. He's helping us know that we can freely pour out our hearts to God when we're hurting. We can be honest with God. We can show Father exactly how we feel when we release our suffering to him. We open the door for his grace to flood into our own hurting hearts. And it's one of the ways that we need. It's the goodness of God. Almost 30%, I think Pastor Mike gave us this a few weeks ago, of, of psalms are laments. And sometimes we think that we have to keep it all bottled in. We have to kind of put the, you know, the, the good face on to show that we've got it together. And I think sometimes that's noble to try to not let other people be hurt by what you're hurt by. But we take it too far and we do the same thing to God. We come before God and we say, Lord, please help me. I'm just struggling. But God wants like the details. Lord, I am pain in my leg is shooting up and I'm about to just cut it off. I can't take it anymore. I'm screaming. I'm hollering. Please come. Where are you? My children are just not acting the way they should, and I don't have any control, and I'm just, I'm losing it. I'm not being the mother or the father that I should be. I, I think I have it as everyone, and then I have work, and I have all of these things going on. What, what, what do I do? I, I can't take it anymore. We got to cry out to God. And the beautiful thing is, he isn't surprised. 
And the psalmist is letting us know fire didn't come down and consume him like, how dare you talk to me like that? Because a child, a parent that loves a child wants that child to come to them when they're hurting. They want to be there for them. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The writer of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. In our time of need. Family, there are times when it takes everything not to just fall on the ground and cry. And we know God is there to hear us. He wants us there. (coughs) Hear this one thing. This is what was a demonstration. Sometimes you may want to think about writing your own laments. If you go to our website, we have a a handout or a worksheet that helps understand what it means and how to lament to the Lord. But hear what a workshop produced in youth and young adults. I pray that as our youth and our young adults go on this trip, they get nourished in their souls. But here's one of these that was going on in South Africa. And they asked these young ones to write laments. And they taught them what laments were. And they showed them the Psalms. And hear what a couple sounded like. This is the author of one, a young woman who was unemployed, HIV positive, as a result of being abused. Why me, Lord? What have I done to deserve this? What have I done to be rejected by you, Lord? Why have you turned your back on me? Why let my enemies celebrate my fall? Why can't you show me or why can't you show them your power? Another one went on who was in the same situation. Only she considered herself under the pseudonym of Fatty. Which helped you understand what she was struggling with. Her lament, Lord, you are my rock. Lord, don't let them laugh at me. Show them how big you are because you are my cover. Lord, I cried several times to you, but you didn't answer. You don't feel anything for me. Father, they make me a laughing stock saying this and that. But I know, Lord, you will fight for me. They got it. And there's more that they praise God because that's what a lament does. It brings me before the throne and I see the glory of God and I'm able to praise him. But I first got to let him know this is what I'm going through. Kids, don't let it be known that it's just adults who have hard times. You go through stuff. There's social media attacks. There's things that go on in your schools. And people, as the saying goes, Children can be cruel. Adults can be cruel. 
you need to know that there's one who knows your pain and you can go to and cry out to. And the first thing he wants you to cry out is, Lord, save me. Because in order for me to come to you, I must believe that you exist. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. But if we go to him, we must believe that he exists. And he answers and rewards those who seek him. So salvation calls so that I can call upon the Lord. But go to those who know the Lord that they can walk us through that. Well, if we're to be able to cry out to the Lord, then the second thing that we need to be able to do is we need to be able to trust in God's promises. If we're going to cry out, if we're going to call upon the Lord, we also need to trust in God's promises. The psalmist goes on to say, but you, O Lord, in verse 12, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. You see, while the psalmist is very clear about the depth of his pain, he's also equally clear about his beliefs. And in verse 12, you see there's a distinct change. He goes from almost being at the bottom that I can't go any further. And then you hear those wonderful words. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. It's as if seeing God changed everything. For a moment, time stands in the balance. And he starts talking and praising about God. Despite the overwhelming affliction, he's trusted in God's promise that God will be faithful to his people. And he's believing in God's word. Though he can't forget his own suffering, his attention has been averted to God, which is one of the ways lament and pain gets soothed or remedied is when we turn away from it and seek God, as this psalmist shows us to do. He declares that unlike himself, the Lord will endure forever. That he's sitting on his throne and God's reigns over all the nations. Not only will he reign forever, but God's promises and mercies never fail and they will be proclaimed by all generations. He's speaking of confidence that God would act and that God would be the one who would come and deliver them at the right time, at the appointed time. And he may be thinking, as this is a psalm that's considered to be during probably the, the Babylonian exile, he's thinking that they're going back to Jerusalem, back to Zion, and that God restore Zion to what it was for you, the place where your people dwell, that all generations would proclaim your name. He's looking for a representation for God to do what he promised, that after 70 years of captivity, he would bring them back and restore them 
to the land. And he's calling upon this promise that he would restore the people. His prayers are one of one who's really and one who truly needs to see God at work amongst his people. And he says that for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. You know, one of the things that moves the heart of God, that God seeks, are those who treasure the very essence of God, the place of God, the workers of God, those who have devoted their lives, even such that they would care for the dust and for the stones. It's like when we have our own ministries. It's wonderful seeing so many, so many that others don't see, that tirelessly work within the ministry week after week, day after day, not because anybody made them, not because they feel like somebody's even watching them, because for a lot they don't know that others are watching them. But they will tirelessly come in here week after week in our prayer room, in our, in our children's ministries, in a lot of the uh, ministries of the AV and the other uh, areas that serve the church that you never see, that you never know that they're there. But without them, God's kingdom does not go forward through us. His kingdom's going to go forward, but not through us. That's not a good thing because our delight is in being used by the Lord. We find our greatest joy in being used by the Lord. And so it's noted that the psalmist looks upon not his own, but for others that God would honor his promise. He goes further in verse 18. He says, let this be recorded for a generation to come. So that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy heights. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, his praise. When people gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. And stop there. You see, he recorded the great promises of deliverance and his words of the future generations to praise him. The Lord delivers his people for a special purpose so that they would declare praises in his great name. It's why we sing the songs we sing. It's why Sundays we just don't come to the word as great as the word is. It's the speaking of God through our pastor's to us, but what joy we receive when we get the privilege of praising God. And here God says, that's what the psalmist is praying, Lord, save them. Why? So they can praise you. It's not a task. It's a joy. And I'm so thankful that with our worship leaders and our worship team and you, our congregation, we enjoy and we delight to praise God. And that's a blessing. Amen? Amen? And so he helps them realize God is asking, bring forth the covenant people 
and speak to them in relationship to his faithfulness to them. Um, it reminds them of the releasing of the captives is the same way in which Jesus releases us from the bondages of sin and slavery to it. When he says to hear the groans of the prisoners, it's as if he's giving a prophecy of not just the freedom that comes when Zion and when Jerusalem comes back to inhabit the land, but also the freedom out of the captivity that the Savior would bring and bring many out. What did Jesus say when he launched his ministry? When they gave him the scroll, Luke records this in the synagogue in Luke 4.18. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written and listened to what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yes. Not only was the psalmist saying that he was praying that Lord look down and hear the groans of the prisoners, Jesus was the answer freeing the captives from their imprisonment. Paul says it like this in Romans 6. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life. Jesus is the one who comes, gives us the life, sets the captives free, frees the souls that have been bound in sin, in Satan, and in this world and Jesus lifts us so that we might proclaim the goodness and his praises all the days of our life and in an eternal life. It's a wonderful look ahead of the promises that this, this afflicted man was able to, in his pain, see that. And today we have the same promises and more than he did. We have the promises that we should be reminded of whenever we get into this, this place where we're just feeling it's just no way out to recite and remember the promises of God. That he is with us at all times. We don't face our suffering alone. For in Hebrews 13 it says he will never leave us nor forsake us. That God is love, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God loves us, and Psalm 100 reminds us of that promise. But he also says that the Lord your God is in the midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. God will rejoice and sing loud songs over you. We always see God as this stoic, stern, like embowed kind of uh, figure. But we never see God as a serenader. He's singing, exalting, 
praising us because we delight in one another. That's his promise. But he says he's working out all things, including our suffering for our good and to accomplish his purposes in our lives. As we've been studying in Romans on Wednesday, Romans 8, that he's preparing a place for us to dwell with him eternally. John 14, he's coming again for his people. It's the blessed hope of the church and that he will receive, that we will receive a special reward for enduring suffering faithfully. James chapter 1 and Revelations 2. See, we have these precious promises that we can continue and more. Once again, go to our website and you can pick up the sheets of God's promises so that in times of affliction, we have something to focus on. I think the things that we really seek in God are the very things that help us even with one another. We would love for and we desire to be able to work with and bring our, our, our requests to each other. And we should. That's what we do, like uh, as Pastor Zach was saying, on Wednesday nights. Uh, the first Wednesday of each month. We come, we pour out, we lay forward our prayers before God as a congregation. Because we want God's answer. We want God's presence. And we want to be the people that are always praying to our God. Peter lets us know that with these precious promises, we can take to the bank because God does not lie. And so with that, Peter says in verse 1 of 2 Peter, the promises by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desires. And so God wants us to come to him and to cry upon him and to let him know, to trust in his promises that we can find security and we can find uh, help in a time of need. His promises are our hope and anchors our souls in serving and comforting um, as a refuge for us during our most difficult times. And if he's the anchor for our souls, we know then that we can call on him. We can cry out to the Lord with details. We can trust in God's promises. But the final thing that we can do, if we want to go to God in our deepest anguish and make our request to God, then we must embrace hope anchored in Christ Jesus. We embrace hope anchored in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 23. He says, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, 
and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The psalmist remembers and is confident in the nature of God. He repeatedly expresses his own weakness and frailty. He had a moment where he stopped. It was like he was lamenting, and then he went to the promises of God, and now he's back to that I have been broken, my strength in mid-course, and my years or my, my days have been shortened. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. Because isn't that the nature of hurt and pain? I got my high days, low days. I'm, I'm there one moment, but then I'm right back in my discomfort. The pain comes back, and I feel it once again. But what does he do? He goes right back to the Lord. He says, they will perish. I said, oh, you uh, old, uh, of old, you have laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. He remembers once again who God is. And here he knows him as the eternal God, the God who never ends, that there is no beginning nor ending. The God who created time and stands outside of time. The one who will one day roll this world up and bring forth a new world because he's the one who created it for his purposes and he will create a new world and a new earth and a new heavens for the new people of God who have placed their trust in him. But the interesting thing about this is that though he's speaking to God here, the scriptures help us see Hebrews brings to light who he's talking about. Because in Hebrews 1, God says this, and the writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. He starts off saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. But then the Hebrew writer jumps down to verse 10, and he says this of Christ. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up, and like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Jesus is who the psalmist is referring to. Jesus is the eternal one. Jesus is the one who's created all things and all things exist by the word of his power. That is an anchor in the midst of everything that can be going wrong, sideways, up, down, and everything. The eternal nature and goodness of Christ keeps us solid and sound and bearing all things because he bore them first. 
because he settled it for us. He gets us to understand that the temporary nature of this world, it may seem permanent to us, but one day it grows old like a garment. Every piece of clothing wears out and grows old and needs to be changed or replaced. And if anyone knows that, I do because my wife reminds me of that all the time, of stuff lying around a house that you need to get rid of because you've had it longer than our children and that stuff needs to go. Roll it up, throw it out, it's a garment. The psalmist says, that's the world. God will roll it up, put it to the side, and create a new one because he's God. And he's outside of time and he's outside of limitations. He can do anything. He can do it. And so in an eternal state, I love what D.L. Moody says about eternal, about eternity. The longest time man has to live on earth has no more proportion to eternity than a drop of dew has to the ocean. The longest time we have to live on earth has no proportion to eternity than a drop of dew. Not a drop of water. That would be huge. A drop of dew. That's how much our life is. But guess what we do? We put all of our time and all of our efforts and all of our interest and everything into that little drop of dew. And we do not account for the ocean of eternity that God says, are you planning? Are you preparing? Are you coming to me for that? That's what he controls. That's what he invites us into. That's what makes our problems as big as they are, and they are. Pain is pain. Pain causes prayer. Prayer lifts us before God so we can see the eternal perspective. And then we're like, okay, I, I, can, I can deal with this. I, I can, I, you're with me? I can deal with this. He gives us that surety. He gives us that confidence. When we can trust on an unchanging God, eternal, never stopping his love, never stopping his kindness, his grace, always helping us when we need him, always forgiving when we come and ask. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus, that Christ, please know that that's the one whom has made ample sacrifice and is calling you right now, saying, come to me because I'm the forgiver of your sins. I know everything you did. I created you, and I've seen it all because I know all things, I see all things, and I know exactly where you are. There's nothing that you can do that will shock me. And Christ is calling you. Trust him. Give your life to him so that he might bring you into an eternal state that lasts forever. That has the goodness of God. That washes away your sins. He has paid for your sins on the cross. And he's saying, join me. And all of those 
who hear my voice. Join me because the Father is desiring to save all, knowing all won't answer. But it's available. So come to Christ. Don't leave without a new year and you don't know who this Jesus is who brings eternity to right now. He will be the God of all generations to come and that is what gives us comfort. He will keep the descendants of the godly in his presence. The children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. We need to put our faith and our hope in that God because he is a good God. He even looks for the generations to come. And that's what gave final solution, kind of uh, an ease to the psalmist. I may never see the resolution of Zion. I may never see the bricks go back up. I may never see the world uh, evangelized and those coming to faith in Christ to the degree that God is calling, but I trust him. I know that the God who saved 2,000 years ago is the same God eternally, the same God who saves today, will be the same God that saves tomorrow, 10 years from now, 80 years from now, if he does not come back a million years from now. We can put our hope and our trust that he is that God. He does care about our pain. We can cry out to him. But we can embrace the hope that he will save all who come to him. And even when we're gone, and even if pain has taken our lives or brings discomfort or agony, he's the one I can go to. For in him, I find my perfect peace. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Gracious Lord, we thank you and we love you. Father, we are most delighted when we can call upon you, knowing that you hear our prayers. Not only do you hear them, you answer them. So Father, give us courage and hearts to call upon you. Um, give us courage and heart to wait upon you. Because Lord, not everything is yes. And so Father, sometimes you say no. And sometimes you say, wait. So Lord, help us. Let the Spirit have his way, um, molding in us long-suffering, perseverance, uh, patience, love, peace. Father, we pray to you because we know you are the God who will last forever. And in you, we place all our hope, our trust, our faith. Because, Father, there's none like you. We love you and we adore you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.